Well, he is faithful, is he not? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, last week we started into a new series, and we started it off this way by reminding you to think inside the box. You know, the world says, think outside the box, but God says, think inside the box, because here's where your answers are. Here's where your direction is. There is so much in here that people don't even realize are in there. They're like, oh God, I just wish that you would speak to me. And he's saying, I spoke to you 30,000 verses. Why don't you start there? You know, this word is alive and it's powerful. It divides between what are your thoughts and what are his thoughts. You ever notice that there's sometimes when you're walking with God and you're like, was that me? Or was that God? Because sometimes things sound the same. And it's like, oh, well, I just made that up. I just did this. And, you know, some people I've heard say, well, God told me. And I'm like, flat out, God did not tell you that because it's in contradiction to his word. And so the word will always illuminate what the Holy Spirit is saying. God cannot say anything outside of the boundaries of his word. And he understands that, so he put them clearly in there for us. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, it will never violate his word. Now, the word gives you the generalities of what God has provided for you, and the Holy Spirit can fill in the specificity, the specifics, the details that you need for your life. Garnet's going, specificity. <laughs> trying to wrap his and I'm surprised I got it out because sometimes I'm just like you know I feel like I sound more like gummy than I do like someone's supposed to be teaching but the Holy Spirit will give you the details and the specifics of how to walk out the generalities of the word but when we think inside the box of the word and we act on the box of the word we get word results and so many people are like how do I get God to move in my life do the word. It's the word and the spirit together. I like that. As my pastor used to always say, used to, he still does. He says, the word and the spirit come together for an explosive force for God. The natural and the supernatural come together and they open up doors that you didn't even know were open to you before. But we have to think inside the box of the word and let our beliefs be centered around them. Romans 12, 2 says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good you know some people call some things good that are not good oh god i'm so glad you're using this sickness to teach me and they see it as a good thing no it's not a good thing it says every good and perfect gift comes down from the father there ain't nothing good or perfect about sickness there's nothing good or perfect about disaster there's nothing good and perfect about loss and lack and destruction man who god is good devil bad easy concept <laughs> but we renew our mind and we are transformed so that we can prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God I like what the, the New Living says it says don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world and it's really easy for us to just get into the same mode of doing what everybody else does but you realize you do what everybody else does you get what everybody else gets and God's looking for a few pioneers in this age. Hallelujah. 
That had nothing to do with my message, but that's what the Holy Spirit is saying this morning. He's looking for a few pioneers who are willing to blaze a new trail for him, to open new doors and go down new paths that Hugh never even thought of before. He's looking for new doors to open. He's looking for new nations to open. He's looking for new churches to open. Hey, there's churches closing every day. And some of them should be closing their doors. They have no life. They've been dead for a long time. But God is wanting to move life-giving, life-breathing churches into all the regions of the world because the harvest is truly plentiful. And God is looking for a few pioneers who are going to stand up and actually believe His Word and walk it out and walk in His power. You do the Word, you get Word results. Read the stories of the Bible. They are not void of power. When David was obedient to take on the giant, the giant fell. When Moses was obedient to walk up to the Red Sea, the Red Sea opened. He had a few moments where he was like, God, what do I do? And God said, move forward. And so I believe God is speaking to some hearts this morning. Move forward. Say, I'm going to be a pioneer. I'm willing to do it, God. I'm willing to be stretched, willing to go outside of the boundaries of what I thought were possible for my life and my five-year and my ten-year plan. It says, don't be, copy the behavior and the customs of this world. I almost forgot where I was going there for a second. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so let your beliefs about yourself and the situations of your life be Bible formed. Okay, let's get back into this. We were preaching out of Galatians chapter 3, and last week we told you who were the Galatians. They were the Gulls. They were these Celtic tribes that had moved into the region around 400 to 390 BC. They had been fighting Rome for a few years, and they, they, they had some early success as they moved into the area. They burned down Rome, and then Rome retaliated against them and pushed them out, and so they settled for a time in what is now central Turkey. And so Paul, in his first ministry journey, went to the Galatians, or the, the southern part of Galatia. That's actually a pretty big province of Rome. And so these people are not Jews. These people are not Romans. They are basically a bunch of savages who are being, uh, changing their society a bit to look Roman, but inside, they're, uh, they're pretty rough people. And as Caesar pointed out about them, he says, they're fickle in their resolves, they're fond of change, and they're not to be trusted. And as I read that quote of Caesar to about the Gauls, I was like, how many people can say that about people today? They're fickle in their resolves, they're fond of change, and they're not to be trusted. Okay, how many of you used to be like that? You were fickle in your resolve, you were fond of change and you were not to be trusted. Thank God he can do miracles in lives, right? Come on, people. We're having an interaction this morning. Thank God for his miracle power in our lives to transform us. And so Paul had spread the gospel through Iconium and Derby and Lystra in his first, and it, it went well at first, and then he ended up getting stoned and they raised him from the dead and he had to escape from the area. But the word of God really got established throughout the southern Galatian province 
And uh, as time went on, though, as what happened to a lot of Paul's different missionary places, is the Judaizers came behind them and began preaching, saying, oh, that, you know that grace stuff and the believe in the, the resurrection of Jesus stuff that Paul has preached to you? Oh, that's good. But you also need to keep the law as well. You need to do all the feasts. You need to do all the sacrifices, which I think is hilarious. The Jews weren't even doing them all at that time. So for somebody to come and say, oh, this is how you have to do it, maybe you should do it first, Jews. That's a side point. So it seems so improbable that the Galatians would go down this route because they don't come from a Jewish background. They don't even come from a Roman background. And so Paul has preached the gospel to them. And so in Galatians chapter 3, he starts to point out some of the points that he has a problem with. In Galatians 3, 1, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. And so Paul's a little flabbergasted. And he's like, come on, guys, what happened? Of all the things I thought would happen to you, this is not one of them. Oh, foolish Galatians. And that's one of the strongest things that Paul, uh, strongest rebuke that Paul gives in any of his writings. You guys are a bunch of fools. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if I came and started calling you guys a bunch of fools, I'm pretty sure I'd have an empty church pretty quick. But Paul had no problem saying that. He's like, you guys have become a bunch of fools. Who has bewitched you? How is it that you were so clearly saw the, what the purpose of Jesus was and what the message of the gospel was, how you so quickly moved away from it? And so in verse 5, he says this. He says, I ask again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey? the law and I think there's a resurrection of this still going on in the church today if you follow all these rules and regulations then you can have miracles then you can have the Holy Spirit then God will be happy with you but Paul did not leave that verse off there he says of course not it's because you everyone say this with me believe the message you heard about Christ. And in verse 6 it says, In the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he didn't count Abraham righteous because of his works and because of his actions. And that's where Abraham should be going, praise God, thank you. Because when we look at Abraham and we call him the father of faith, you would think he had a perfect life. But Abraham actually was pretty messed up. And he didn't often obey God fully the first time. God said, get out from your people, leave your family behind, and come to a new land that I will show you. And in Hebrews 11, it says, so he went and did it. But that's not actually how the story goes, which shows us God doesn't remember our faults. Because what actually happened with the story is he took his father, and he took his nephew, and they headed out together, and nothing happened until his father died. And now he's finally, he's away from his immediate family, but he's still got his nephew with him. And so God begins to prosper Abraham, and they begin to grow, and guess what? Lot begins to be prospered and grow because of his association with Abraham. 
But then there begins the big, the big disagreement. There's not enough room for all of Abraham's stuff and all of Lot's stuff, so they have to separate. And so finally, Abraham has fulfilled the first part of God's commandment to him. Leave your family, leave your land, and I'll go to a place you show me. And so as soon as Lot is gone, God says, now look as far as you can east. Look as far as you can west. This land is all yours. He didn't find his promised land until he fulfilled the obedience that God had asked of him. Now, he wasn't justified by his obedience, but he walked into his blessings because he was where God told him to be, doing what God told him to do. And so in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him righteous because of his faith. And it says the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. So who are the children of Abraham? Those who put their faith in God. Do you put your faith in God? Then you are the children of Abraham and you're the group I want to talk to this morning. And it says what's more, the scriptures look forward to, everyone say this with me, this time. You know, some really great things happened in the Bible, but you realize more has happened since that you don't have to read, and this is the time that God was looking forward to? Seeing what you would do? Seeing what opportunities would come your way? What things you would say yes to and what things you would say no to? The Bible, the people in the Bible were looking forward to this time. When God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. And God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the, everyone say this with me, same blessing. A similar blessing? A half blessing, quarter blessing, three-eighth blessing, three-quarter blessing? No. Same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. So we have to fully understand what the blessing had done in Abraham's life because God's wanting to do the same thing in you because you share the same blessing. Yes. Now when we talk about sharing, when sometimes when I tell my kids to share, I put a little, some, some smarties out on the table and be like, share them. This is what happens. Bennett takes all of them and goes, one for Harrison, one for Pierce, one for Gummy. I take all of these. That's not how the sharing of the blessing goes. It's the whole pot for the whole family. And so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And then the verse 13, it jumped down to it. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so I love, we were, a few weeks ago at Easter, we were preaching about the purpose statement of Jesus. And some people, when they read the Bible, they go, oh, I just don't understand. I don't know why this is this way and this is that way. You know what I found? The Bible's pretty clear about why Jesus did what he did. If you just read it with an open heart and an open mind, it tells you what he did and why he did it. And one of the things that he did on the cross was he became a curse for you so that you can no longer be cursed. 
And the moment he took that curse upon himself, took it into the grave and killed it, the blessing of Abraham came upon you. So last week I gave you homework, and that was I wanted to speak you to speak over yourself for the week. The blessing has come upon you. Because the reality is the curse has been removed. The blessing has come upon you. Now today we need to talk about, so what are you going to do about it? Because you know, there's a lot of things that you can have that do you absolutely no good if you don't use them. You could have a brand new Ferrari in your driveway right now. But if you get, don't get in the car, turn the key, put it in gear, and slam down the gas pedal, it does you no good. You could have the best fishing boat, Jason, that all of money could buy with all the greatest tools, but it does you no good unless you get out on the water, right? And so the blessings of God have been parked in your driveway ever since you put faith in Jesus. We need to learn how to get out and drive. The blessing of the Lord was the word we told you, it was the word eulogio, which is where we get our word for eulogy, which is not a sad time, it's actually a time of celebration. And it means to praise and to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings, and to cause to prosper, to make happy, and to bestow blessings on, and to be favored of God. And you know, out of all those different definitions, you know which one's my favorite? It's to be favored of God. Because you know what the word favor is? It's another word for grace. And when grace has come upon you, there's nothing that you cannot do. You have the favor of God. Doors open for you when you tell them to open. Situations right before you when you tell them to move. Mountains crumble. Crooked places become straight when you tell them to. And so the word blessing literally means to empower to prosper. And if we look at its roots as we did last week, it means comes from the words logos and you. And logos just means to speak over. But you means to be well off, to fare well, and to prosper. So the blessing of the Lord literally means he has spoken over you and it causes you to be well off, fare well, and prosper. I have to tell you that most of the Christian world doesn't want to hear this. Irena and I were talking about that before service. How would you not want what God has said about you? How would you not want to walk in what he's provided for you? He said that the blessing has been spoken over of you. And we've watered down what that means. Oh, I'm so blessed. Which means I'm, you know, I'm kind of happy today. You know, I'm in a good mood. Nobody's ticked me off yet, so I'm blessed. But as soon as that person cuts me off in traffic, how dare you? I close my fist because you know not everybody does. <laughs> Blessings have nothing to do with how happy you are that day or how well your day is going. Blessings have to do with God has parked in your driveway. And so when God spoke the blessing over Abram, this is what he said. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So God commands his blessing upon Abram here in Genesis chapter 12. And within one chapter, this is how Abraham is described. Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. Let's say this again. The blessing was commanded upon Abram, and this is what happened within one chapter. Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. You are in a different category when they have to use an adjective in front of rich. Very rich. <laughs> and so Abram increased because of what God has spoken over him. You know, I found something that Kenneth Copeland had put out this year that I thought was really great. Because when we talk about prosperity, we think that this is the only thing we're talking about. But you have to understand that financial prosperity is actually the lowest form of prosperity, but it is just as much included as every other part. There are actually seven kinds of prosperity that the Bible talks about. Number one being spiritual prosperity. You are spiritually prosperous every day. Your spirit never faints. Your spirit never weakens. It is always as strong as Jesus because it's been made one with him. There is emotional prosperity. I think that's some area that a lot of the body of Christ needs to have a revival in. Letting their emotions be prosperous again. Just because your life was messed up at the beginning doesn't mean it needs to be messed up at the end. You can go through healing and have God restore your emotions. You can have mental prosperity. Some people have lost the ability to think. But God can give you a new imagination and new thoughts. There's physical prosperity. That has to do with healing. That has to do with your body. You know, you can be physically prosperous in your body. You know, I find it, it, it really annoys me when I hear people in their 30s and 40s saying, Oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not even middle age. <laughs> middle age is 60. Yeah. Old is 120. That's what the Bible says about it. You don't want to speak that over yourself. You're not getting old. You're not slowing down. I like what Brother Hagin said when he was older. He said, you know, if I would have thought about it when I was younger, I would have always spoke over my hair and my teeth. <laughs> and I remember Jim Hockaday saying that he heard that him say that when he was young, so he started doing it. And Jim is like almost 60, but he looks like he's 35. You can speak over your body and have physical prosperity. Moving on. You can have relational prosperity. How many people do you know that every relationship they've ever had, they've burned the bridge? God has not called you to be a bur bridge burner. He's been called you to be a connector. Someone who connects people together and connects people to God. You can have prosperity in your relationships. You can have accomplishment prosperity. You can have good accomplishments in your life. You know, there's some people who like they've never accomplished a single feat in their life. They've always backed down. God has not called you to do that. He's called you to take mountains, not be underneath them. 
And then seventh, financial prosperity. So God has different areas that he wants to prosper in your life that all fall under the, the blessing of Abraham that he's put upon him. And you can see all of these different areas reflected in Abraham's life. But we don't have time to study that all out this morning. But in Galatians chapter 3, 9, we said, so those who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now, the thing with faith is you'll never receive something you don't believe. So if you don't believe those things that I just told you about, they will never profit you. But if you mix a little faith and listen to the Holy Spirit, He will show you how to prosper in every area of your life. And seeing as everybody gets all uptight about when we talk about finances, you have to understand that if you are in the $34,000 bracket, you are in the top 1% of the world. If you are over 25,000, you're in the top 10%. So when people talk about prosperity in North America, I have to look around and say the poorest person in our town is probably still one of the richest in the world. So you need to have a little perspective. When we talk about prosperity, everybody starts thinking about, I had one guy saying, oh, I know that God's gonna prosper me so I can ride around in a helicopter everywhere. Really? Why? So you can look like the big shot? What are you going to do with it? Why don't you put some ministers in there and go fly them to some nation that needs to hear about Jesus, where people are dying by the thousands every day and going to hell? You have been prospered and blessed so that you can be a blessing. This world has people that are, I'm being a little strong, I see some chuckles going on, but we have to understand and we have to have a balanced approach to this idea of prosperity because a lot of people have stupid ideas. How many people that I've met in my life that are, I'm believing God for $500 million. How about you start with five because I know you can't pay your bills right now. God will walk you through every day. You may not have everything you want, but God will always give you what you need in that moment. And as you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in much. But if you're not faithful in the little, you'll never be faithful in the lot. You know, I remember my friend Spiros saying that some guy was like, oh yeah, you know, when I have this amount of money in my bank, I'll start sending money to you. He said, no, don't, keep it. He's like, if you can't give the $1, I don't want your 10 We need to be faithful over where we are right now because where you are right now, you are blessed and you can be a blessing to those around you. But there's a great story in Numbers chapter 23. And there's this guy named Balak. He's a king and he's going up against um, the children of Israel. And he knows he can't win. So he figures if the best thing I can do is I've got to cheat. And so he hires this spiritualist, this guy named Balaam, and he says, come on, I'll pay you lots of silver and gold. Come up and curse the nation of Israel so that I can then beat them. And so he takes them up on top of this holy mountain that is over top of the valley that the the Israelites are camped in. And Balaam, he gets up on the edge and he goes to speak his curse. And nothing but blessing comes out. And Balak goes, no, stop talking. And this is Balaam's response to him. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those who the Lord has not condemned? And he said, I see them from the clifftops. 
And I watch them from the hills. I see a people who live by themselves set apart from the other nations. Now they're up on top of the mountain and they're looking down into the valley where Israel is camped. Now you have to understand what it is that Balaam is seeing. God had given specific instructions to the children of Israel when they made up camp, this is how you park yourselves. Right in the center of the camp will be the tabernacle of meeting, where the Ark of the Covenant would go, where the presence of God is. And then three, uh, three tribes this way, three tribes this way, three tribes this way, and three tribes this way. When Balaam looks down from the mountain, that's what he's seeing. He's seeing a picture, type, and shadow of the cross of Jesus. You notice the bottom is longer? That's because Judah was the largest tribe. They were the most blessed tribe. When Balaam tried to curse the nation of Israel, Jesus was standing in his way. You know what? You can't be cursed. You can only be blessed because Jesus is standing in the way. And so Balak didn't like this answer. You can't curse them. You've got to try this again. I'll give you more money. And Balaam said to him, it says, I'll speak only the message the Lord puts in my mouth. And I need to tell you this this morning. You need to speak only the word that God has said about you. Put his word in your mouth. If he said you're blessed and that all those areas can be prosperous, you better start saying it too. And you better stop saying they're not because when two agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done for them, is what Jesus said. So if you're going to find someone to agree with, agree with God. And so Balaam said, I'll only speak the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. And then he says this, as he tries to curse them again. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And then he says this, turns to Balak, and he says this, Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. The blessing has come upon you, and no man or devil can block it but you. You are the steward of the blessing of God. Nothing will ever happen in your life that you refuse to allow. You can shut the door to the things of the enemy. You can shut the door to the things of the world. And vice versa, you can open the door to allow the blessings of God to walk into your life. God has taken the curse upon himself so that blessing can flow unhindered into your life. And what God has blessed, no man can curse. So if we go back to Galatians in 3.16, it says, Now Abraham, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. Who is Christ? So the anchor of the blessing of, your, of, your, of Abraham in your life is Christ, because the blessing was spoken to him, and you have been made one 
with him in the body of Christ Jesus. And it says, and I say this, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul a covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ that should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of, is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it excuse me, to Abraham by promise. God gave the blessing to Abraham by promise. You know, the thing with God, he doesn't know how to break a promise. But I'm sure we've all met a human who's broken their word, broken their promise. God doesn't know how to do that. It says all the promises of Scripture was singing are yes and amen. Yes and so be it. So the blessing of God on his end is so be it in your life. But you know what I was thinking about that? It says it's not, the blessing's not about his seeds, meaning his children, but the seed, meaning Christ. But you have to understand that the blessing will do the same thing in your life that it did in their life. So let's take a look at his son. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, it said there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. So Isaac gets his instructions. There's a time of famine, and his first instinct is let's go somewhere else. Because Abraham was living in someone else's land, even though God had promised it to him and to his children. So Isaac is living in a land that technically doesn't belong to him, but in God's eyes it does. And God's instructions are, it looks a little rough, stay. Now Garnet and I, Garnet's over here, we were talking about this a few weeks ago in regards to Ruth. You think in an in a, in a, a agri, uh, agriculture society, when do you know it's a famine? Because you could have a bad year. So the first year, yeah, you didn't get as much as you thought. And then year two, you're like, oh, it's still not looking good. And then what is it, by year three maybe you're starting to think, we got a problem. By that point, things are already pretty tight. We've had some lean years as it's going on. And so you got to think about the situation that Isaac is in. If you look at the nation of Israel, where they don't water and where they don't look after, it's a desert. So you have to understand what God is asking Isaac to do. Stay in the desert. Now our inclination is when we go through hard times is get out of the desert. Find a good place. But you know, sometimes God will say, stay right here. I can bless you in spite of all of this. And he tells him this. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all of these lands. And in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again, not seeds, his seed. Again, talking about Jesus. And it says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And so Isaac dwelt in, the, in Gerar. So Isaac was obedient. He stayed where God told him to stay. 
And that is the place you will always find blessing. So many people are like, why is it no different over here and over here and over here? And it's like, get where God told you to be and plant yourself. Be faithful. Get involved. Help your community. Help your church. But be where God told you to be. And until he tells you to go elsewhere, you stay. And so Isaac stayed where God told him to be. And then verse 12, it says this, So Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And as I was thinking about that verse, I almost get a picture of what happened. Here we've got Isaac. He's standing out on a barren land. Everyone else has tried to run. It's a famine. There's no food. It's turning into a desert. The ground is dry, a little sandy. A little wind kicks up all the dust, blows it around. And here's Isaac. Seed in the ground. Cover it with sand. Seed in the ground. Cover it with sand. Seed in the ground. You gotta think, he's probably thinking to himself, what am I doing? I've been growing food all my life. It doesn't grow in soil like this. I don't need sand. I need soil. I need fertile soil. I need soil with a little bit of dampness in it. Soil with a little bit of nutrients in it. You gotta think, he's a trained farmer. And sometimes we can look at our own training and say, God can't fix this. And you got to know that those are the thoughts that are going through Isaac's head. You want to know how I know that those are the thoughts? Because those are the thoughts that have gone through my head in situations like these. Those are the thoughts that have gone through your head in situations like these. But what did Isaac do? Seed in the ground, cover over the sand. Seed in the ground, cover over the sand. And you got to think that he probably planted the fields and he probably stood back and looked, I'm still in a desert. Now, we don't know what happened next. Maybe all of a sudden God went, and rain. Or maybe crops grew in the desert. You are not responsible to make the harvest happen. You're responsible. Seed in the ground. I planted it. God, it's yours. Seed in the ground. It shall grow and produce. Seed in the ground, I am a blessed person. Seed in the ground, all that I touch my, touch my hand to prospers. Seed in the ground, the everywhere I place my foot I own. Seed in the ground. And then you stand back and say, I've done my part, God. It's up to you. And you know what? He is ever faithful. So Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And this verse is great. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Because he was willing to do what others were not. And that was be obedient and do what God had said. And it says, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. I have to tell you, if you want to walk this route of prosperity, it doesn't make people happy. Because lazy people won't get the results. you got to be obedient. 
And you've got to do what God has told you to do. And people are going to say, well, why did that happen for them and not for me? Because you didn't sow in the land when God told you to. You didn't watch over your seed as God watches over his seed. Don't get upset when people don't like you. Because eventually, when they've run out of options, they go, okay, please, tell me. Doesn't always happen today. You know, that's exactly what happened. For the sake of time, I won't read it all. That's exactly what happened to Isaac. He prospered in that land. And you know what happened? The king came to him and said, you need to leave. You're bigger than we are. You got more stuff than we are. We don't want you here. Leave. And they filled in all his wells. That's what, why I kind of lead to the idea that God just made it grow in the desert. Because they were trying to sabotage Isaac and he kept. So what he did is he moved on and he built a well and they stole it from him. He built another well and they stole it from him. And finally he got far enough away and he built a well and they didn't come and take it. But you know what happens? Just a little bit later, that same king, his best friend, and the commander of the army show up on Isaac's doorstep and they say, please come back. We see God is with you. So Abram, or Isaac, he sits down with them. He has a feast and he promises, look guys, you're afraid of me. I promise I won't hurt you. I won't take your stuff. Your stuff is your stuff. My stuff is my stuff but I bless you anyways. And you know what happened that very night? They found water. New streams. I believe God has new streams. New streams. New streams of blessing for you. New streams of income. New business. New clients. New businesses. God has new streams but they always come on the back of the faithfulness of today. Be faithful in what you have today and let God take care of tomorrow. As Jesus said in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Do what you know to do today. That's the only thing you're responsible for. So what's your homework this week? I want you to now go back and do what most of us probably didn't do. The blessing has come upon me. Everything I set my hand to do is blessed. And God, I know that you watch over your promises to perform it. So Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus and what you've brought us into because of Jesus. And we just sit back and we do as you said. We rest in you. We don't have to worry about how do I do this and how do I do that. But I rest in you, Jesus. I know that you laid my steps. You guide me where I need to go. Because Holy Spirit, that's your job. That's what you do. And so we just choose to surrender to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and have some good talk.